0: Today, we're going to continue in our series entitled 12 Essential Conversations that Every Parent Needs to Have. And again, the purpose of this series is to help parents and grandparents discover some of the most important lessons that our children need to know in order to develop a biblical worldview and for us to help equip you to have these conversations. And again, this is not just for this age range, I would say for all of us here during this season, it's good for us to be reminded of what are some of the foundations of a biblical worldview. The importance of us having these conversations, especially with the next generation, cannot be under overstated. We must be aware of the fact that our, the next generation is consistently engaged in a spiritual war where the devil is not letting up. He is consistently trying to sway their minds away from God, the things of God, and the design of God for humanity. So it is our responsibility to enlist, to, to impart to this next generation what are some of the truths that we see from Scripture. And like we talked about last week, to do that, you've got to go back to the beginning. If you've lost something, the best place to find it is to go back where you last had it. And the last place that we know for certain that we had the image of God, the design of God down, was at the beginning before sin entered the world and our greatest of grandparents in Adam and Eve. And so last week we talked about those first two essential conversations where there is a God and God created all things. And if you missed that message, i encourage you to go online and you can go and listen to that. But today we're going to pick back up where we left off in Genesis 1 midway through the sixth day of creation. So look with me, beginning in Genesis 1, verse 6, it says, Then God said, let us, that's by the way, the plurality there, as you see, the trinity of God, even at the beginning in creation. Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish over the sea and the birds over the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of the earth and every tree which has fruit yielding seed, it shall be for you. And to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the sky, and to everything that moves on the earth which has life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. Verse 31, God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good, and there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Now from this text today, church family, we see our next two essential conversations that we're going to look at today, which are, first, God created man in his own image, And then secondly, that God gave man dominion over the earth. So let's dive in this morning. First, our first truth today is parents should have the essential conversation with their children that God created man in His image. Now the concept of the image of God, or the Imago day, as it is often referred to, is one of the most robust theological concepts in the Bible, especially as it pertains to what all this truth impacts. The beautiful truth that God created man in his image is clearly seen in this passage and is actually repeated three different times here in Genesis 1. You see it first in Genesis 1.26 when, when we see God having the concept of creating man. This is prior to him actually creating man. He says, then God said, let us make man in our own image according to our likeness. And then again, we see it twice in a little bit, we see it twice in Genesis 1, 27. It says, so God created man in his own image. And in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. The fact that humanity was created in the image of God is a concept that has vast worldview significance. Our children need to hear us use this terminology, the image of God. But like we said last week, to help our parents best have these conversations, we've also got to to answer three questions for each of these conversations. So question number one is, where do we see the truth that God created man in his image in the Scriptures? So here in Genesis chapter 1, we clearly see that God created man in his image. But for us here today, we've got to ask ourselves the question, according to Scripture, what does that really mean? What does it really mean for humanity to bear the image of God? Well, let me explain that to you today and give you a couple of truths. First, the scriptures show that humans bearing the image of God means that humans are similar to God. We are similar to God. Now, most of us, we kind of get a check in our spirit when we hear that we're similar to God out of reverence and, and rightfully so. We as humans are far distant from God in our holiness as far as God is, compl- is, is uh, understood. And the, it is impossible for us to measure that. However, we must also realize that compared to the rest of creation, everything else that God created, that we specifically are the only ones that were created in the image of God. To be created in the image of God literally means to resemble God. Now, this is different from maybe the, uh, the the heresy teaching in the Mormon church that will say that when you leave this earth, you become gods. We never become gods. We are always, God is God, and we are always His creation. But the Bible says that we are created in the image of God, meaning we resemble God. And we see in verse 26, God uses another word there to help us understand what that looks like, and it's the word likeness. Look in verse 26. Let us make man in our own image according to... To our likeness. Now, the word likeness in scripture is commonly used to describe the similarity between fathers and sons. In fact, if you look at Genesis chapter 5, you see that word likeness used in two different places, giving showing us this illustration. It says in Genesis 5, 1 through 3, this is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day when God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. So there we see likeness, meaning Adam and God. Verse 2, when he created them male and female and blessed them and named them man in the day when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he became the father of, his own, of a son in his own likeness according to his image and named him Seth. Here in Genesis 5, we see not only the fact that humanity bears the image of God, meaning that it is passed down from Adam to all future generations, that we as human beings have the image of God, but it also shows us that that understanding of what that means shows us that it is similar in the way that Adam, or that Seth, was also created in the image of Adam. See, we are similar to God in the same way that a child is similar to, to their parents. Now, make no mistake, a child is not their parents. They, are their, they have their own minds, they make their own decisions, they have their own DNA and they have their own fingerprints. However, they also share many of the same traits as their parents. While their DNA is not the same as their parents, it, it, under examination you could clearly see that they are family. They may not look exactly like their parents but they may be visibly similar. They are distinctly different, but unmistakably connected, both in what is seen and is unseen. Church family, according to Scripture, us here today and every human being on the face of the earth, believers and unbelievers, are created in the image of God according to God's likeness, meaning we resemble, we resemble God. We are similar to God. We are, without doubt, Unmistakably different, though. God is holy. We are not. God is spirit. We are both spirit and flesh. God is worthy of all praise and worship, and we are designed to give God all praise and worship. God is infinite. We are finite. However, while we as humans are unmistakably different from God... According to Scripture, we are also undeniably like God in that we as humans alone are His children and we bear some of the same traits and features of God that nothing else in creation does. Now, we'll discuss this further in a moment, but for right now, all you need to know is that we as humanity, that we are are created in the image of God as humans and we are exclusively in this category. The likeness of God shines forth from every human being, and that is why every life matters in the Christian worldview. So we are similar to God. Secondly, the Scriptures show that human beings bear the image of God, that that means that we are special to God among creation. Here in Genesis 1, God makes the clear distinction between humanity and the rest of creation through creating man in the image and likeness of God. In this chapter, we see everything that God creates is good, including humanity and creation. However, among the good in creation, it is clear that humanity is best. Humanity is special. And the key reason behind this is because humanity alone bears the image of God. And this can be true, seen as true throughout the scripture in several ways let me give you a few ways we can know as human beings that we are special to God in creation from the Scriptures. First, the Scriptures teach the specialness of humanity in creation through the purpose of creation. Now we'll talk more about this in a moment as we talk about our second essential conversation that God has given man dominion over the earth. But as it pertains to the special place of humanity in creation, we see that God gave creation to man, not man to creation. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, we see that God gave creation to man to subdue and rule over it. The fact that God created man on the last day of creation shows that in essence God saved the best for last. In the first five days of creation, God was in sort of preparing the master suite. And then on the sixth day of creation, he brought the master home, which was Adam. This is similar to to the gospel picture, because here at the beginning of time, we see God had prepared a special place, the garden, for the people whom He had created, Adam, and He placed, God placed Him in it. Presently, the Bible says that Jesus is creating a special place, heaven, for the people whom He has created new in His blood, believers in Jesus, and one day He will bring us into it. Just like heaven is created for God's people, so creation has been created for God's image bearers. The purpose of creation was to be home for humanity. So again, we see from the purpose of God in creation that creation was always intended to serve, to ultimately to serve as a blessing to man. A second way we see that the that the scriptures teach the specialness of humanity in creation. It's through the prescriptions of God or the laws of God. Throughout God's Word, God gives His people's laws and commands to follow. These laws and commands express to us God's desire for humanity as well as His design in creation. Many of these laws that God God has given us show us that man is special over and above creation. Let me give you an example of that. Leviticus chapter 24, verses 17 through 18. And by the way, if you've been on the one-year Bible journey, you can say that you've read through Leviticus. You may not have remembered this verse, but you read it at one point. But this is what it talks about, the punishment for somebody who wrongfully kills someone's animal versus somebody who wrongfully kills a person. It says in verses 17 and 18, If a man takes the life of any human being, he shall surely be put to death. The one who takes the life of an animal shall make it good life for life. It's clear that God's penalty for the wrongful death of someone, someone's animal is that it should be replaced. And later on in the Old Testament, it should be replaced for five times as much, which again, he was saying that it was wrong. But the penalty for the wrongful death of a human, though, was not to replace it, but was capital punishment. This passage, along with several other examples, shows us that everything God created needs to be respected, including animals, including the property of other people, but that human life should be revered because it bears the image of God. God's law clearly sets apart the value of people over and above everything else in creation. Finally, the Scriptures teach the specialness of humanity and creation not just through its purpose and not just ultimately the fact that we see it in the prescriptions of God, but we also see it in the priority of the gospel. The gospel message is the story of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It is easily God's greatest action in the world. And while the Bible does state that because Jesus died and rose from the grave that one day He will return and He will renew all of creation, there'll be a new heaven and new earth, The fact is that the primary function of the cross was not to save endangered animals, fish, or birds. It was not to stop pollution. It was not to save the polar ice caps or fix global warming. Not that these problems should be ignored, but rather what it shows us is the main reason Jesus came to die was to save sinners. It shows us that God's greatest concern was not the earth, but were the human beings that He put upon the earth. And the Bible makes this abundantly clear. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15 says, "...the sole purpose that Christ came to die was to save sinners." Parents, we must regularly point our children to the fact that they bear the image of God. We should use that language, by the way, mamas and daddies and grandparents, the image of God, because it says that they are special. Our children need to know that they bear God's fingerprints, and they need to wear it as a badge of honor over and above everything else in creation. They matter. The second question we have to answer Is Where do we see the fact that God created humanity in His image displayed in our world? Now there are several ways that we can see the image of God in humans displayed in our world. And that is basically to say, where do we see in our world that human beings are set apart from the rest of creation? That we are unique from the rest of creation? Let me give you a few examples of that. First, the image of God in humanity is seen in the world in that only humanity contemplates... Morality. Only humanity contemplates what is right and wrong. The moral compass within humanity, according to Romans chapter 2, is a gift from God. Like we said last week, God has written on the hearts of men the basic ideas of right and wrong. And this is unique to humanity among everything else in creation. Only humans think this way. Squirrels are not holding courts and tribunals about who owns the tree in the backyard sharks aren't contemplating if it's just or not to eat the baby seal that's about to slide off into the rock, which, by the way, I'm a big Shark Week fan, okay? It's awesome, all right? And regardless of what the, words, the world says, the mountains, the atmosphere, and the trees, though they should be rightly stewarded by humanity, there is no such thing as Mother Earth, and they are not crying out for justice. Only humanity has moral standards to consider that is written on our hearts and that is because we were created special in the image of God. A second example of how we can see the creation, we see God created man in his own image in our world today is that the image of God in humanity is seen in the world and that only humanity continues to advance mentally. In the image of God, God has given humanity the special intelligence that He has given man. While obviously not at the same level, humanity shares with God the cognitive ability to do incredible things. God is the creator of all things. He is the greatest sculptor. He is the greatest painter. Like God, humanity has the ability to create art and music and beautiful things. God, in his unlimited intellect, knows all things concerning science, mathematics, and physics. Like God, humanity also has the ability to comprehend these subjects and continues to grow in them in each passing year since the time of the pyramids. We keep getting smarter. We keep understanding new things. Also, God, in his incredible wisdom, sees into the future, and nothing takes him by surprise. Likewise... Human minds, though we can't see the future like God, we do have the ability to consider the possibilities of the future and make preparations for years well beyond our lifetime. These are all unique mental faculties that only man shares with God. A gorilla may be taught to paint or play an instrument, but he will never be able to compose or enjoy a symphony. Humanity has the ability to continue to grow intellectually in the areas of math and science and medicine. But if you find honeybees today, they're doing the same thing today as they were doing thousands of years ago. And the reason why humanity is smarter is not just because our brains are bigger and that we are more developed or that we have evolved above and beyond the rest of creation. But rather, we are set apart mentally and cognitively because creation, in all of creation, because God has placed within us His image, and that is true even in our intellects. We are different in mind. The image of God is also seen in humanity in the world because humanity relates to God spiritually. The image of God is likely illustrated the best in humanity as distinct from creation in that only mankind contemplates God. While human may share some physical characteristics with animals like the ability to feel pain and even some emotional aspects like the ability to sense fear, The reality is is that only humans consider things like God, sin, and worship. The Bible says in John chapter 4 that God, He is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. The Bible also says that us as human beings, that God created us part spirit. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, Paul speaks to the church about being prepared for the return of Jesus. And he mentions our spirit. It says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus. It shouldn't surprise us that since God is spirit and that humans have been created the image of God, that we too as humans would be spiritual in nature. And we see this in the world, but only in humanity. The fact that humans worship, pray, serve, and praise God is an aspect that the, of the spiritual nature of God's image within us that is exclusive only to humanity. Dogs are not building churches. Deer are not writing hymnals because only humanity who is created in God's image, like God, has the capacity to engage with God on spiritual levels. In fact, human spirituality is so exclusive to us that when Jesus was asked one time to tell His disciples to stop praising Him, He said, I cannot tell them to stop praising Him, for if they do, then even the rocks would cry out. And the reason why Jesus uses this example is because it's natural for us as people to praise God. It's not natural for rocks to do it. Now, He could have done the supernatural And if Jesus had wanted to, he could have created a a choir out of a bunch of concrete in that moment. But what he was saying is, is that it was in the design of man that we have a spirit man. that We have the ability to worship and contemplate and think about God. This is unique in the image of God. Parents, pointing our children to the uniqueness of the image of God in humanity is a lesson that our children need. And the world reflects it, but know this. No one else will point them to it unless you do. Nobody else is going to tell your children that they were designed in the image of God, that they are special mentally, spiritually, physically, that they are different from the rest of creation because God designed them, because they bear the fingerprints of God. Nobody else is going to say that to them. It's a message that drastically needs to be spoken, and if we don't speak it, they won't ever hear it. Which brings us to our last question. The final question concerning man being created in the image of God is this. Why is it important to teach our children that humanity was created in the image of God? Let me give you two reasons why it's important for our children to know that they were created in the image of God. First, church, we must teach our children that humans are created in the image of God because our children need to know that they matter to God. It is important for our children to know that they matter to God for their own self-esteem. Parents, our kids need to know that they are special. Not for what they do or how they look. Not because they play sports well or not because they're beautiful or not because they make good grades. There's nothing wrong with those things. But our children need to know first and foremost they are special because they were designed by God. Also, it is important for our children to know that they matter to God for their own self-care. Parents, we must encourage our children to care for their bodies, to care for their minds, to care for their souls, not just for their own thriving, but because they are precious in the sight of God to Him. And in a world where child and teenage suicides continue to rise... We must proclaim the value to our children that they matter in the eyes of God, that they are precious to God, and that they are temples of God. And let me say this to you here today. If that is ever a struggle in your heart or mind, then let us know that here at the church because we want to speak truth over that lie you matter to God. And then secondly, church, we must teach our children that humans are created in the image of God. Because our children need to know that other people matter to God. Parents, we need to communicate to the next generation the Christian position on so many social issues that they will face. And so many of these issues can be answered by simply understanding the image of God. Let me give you a few examples of that. The Christian position on abortion, for instance. Is, is and should always be a pro-life position because every life, including those in the womb, matters to God. And by the way, you see that even in this text. The Bible says, let us create man in our own image. When God was was basically saying what he was about to do is that the concept of humanity, he had already given them the image of God. Then he said, then he created man and woman in the image of God. He created them. They, They already had the image of God before God even created them. God has always saw his image in life even at the moment of conception. So we see that that is important in this day and age. Secondly, the Christian position on gender should be defined as an acknowledgement that God clearly gave His image to all humans and specifically mentioned that it was given to both male and female. Meaning that while all humans, and this is important, even those who are gender confused, they still bear the image of God. It is the Christian position, though, that humans display the image of God best by claiming the gender that God assigned them at birth. According to God, gender does matter, and His image affirms that. He created them in the image of God, male and female. He created them in the image of God. From the beginning, God wanted everyone to know. And by the way, this speaks to so many other issues for those who. Uh, who are, are marginalized because there's sex in different places, that women are less than men or men are less than women. Again, the Scriptures speak to the fact that every woman fully bears the image of God. Every man fully bears the image of God. And if we lose that, then we've crumbled a foundation where everything else begins to fall. Also, again, the image of God speaks to the Christian position on race and racism. It is informed by the image of God because all humans are created in God's image. Regardless of race, this should cause us as Christians to abhor all sorts of racism. And can I say something here today? Making racial jokes or racial stereotypes is racism, okay? It's not good. It's something we need to take out of our language growing up here in the South. It may be culturally okay. maybe the way you grew up. It's not right. And it may mean the gospel going to certain people. But at the same time, in a society that is rapidly trying to define and divide everyone by race, the image of God reminds us as Christians that we should never see race first, but we should always see humans created in the image of God first. If we ever start to make race mean more to us than God's image, that can happen negatively through prejudice, but it can even happen positively in racial pride then we are outside of God's will. Now, I have a son, and my son is biracial. Part of his heritage is African American, and I will always want him to know that and celebrate that. However, if one day he ever sees his blackness or his whiteness as more important than the fact that he bears the image of God, then I will inform him that his priorities are confused. We can and should recognize race. The Bible recognizes that, that there are people of tribes and nations and tongues. But we should celebrate first God's image. And then finally, the Christian position on how we should love all people is informed by the knowledge of the image of God in humanity that should lead us to view all people as worthy of love and respect regardless of their actions, lifestyles, or behaviors. This is important because in our day, as we continue to see the image of God torn down in so many different areas in our culture, is that the temptation would be to pull away from people, to begin to respect people less, to love people less. As Christians, we may not approve of all the lifestyles and decisions that are made by people, but we need to always see people as those who bear the image of God and they are worthy of our love and respect. John Calvin spoke about this, saying we are not to reflect on the wickedness of men, but to look at the image of God in them an image which covering and obliterating their faults, an image which by its beauty and dignity should allure us to love and embrace them. Church family, we need to always love human beings because they are created in the image of God. Parents, as you can see, the image of God in humanity affects so much that we as Christians have to deal with so many issues. And our children are going to face these issues in the days ahead and are facing them now. And it is our responsibility to point them to the fact that they are created in the image of God. And if we don't do it, nobody else will. So this is where we're going to spend the bulk of our time this morning. But very briefly, because it connects to it so clearly Our second truth today, our second essential conversation, is that parents should have the essential conversation with their children that God gave man dominion over the earth. As we just discussed, God created man special and unique among the rest of creation. As beautiful and majestic as creation is, God did not give His image to the earth, to animals, or to the stars, but He reserved it only for man. From there, the Genesis account then moves from God speaking about humanity's relationship with the Creator to ultimately humanity's relationship with the creation, how we are to deal with the earth. Again, in verse 26, he says, Let us make man in our own image according to our likeness, and listen to this, and let them rule over the fish of the sea. Again, in verse 28, we essentially see the same things, but this time it adds a little bit more detail. It says in verse 28, God blessed them, God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and rule over it. For the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now we can see here in this passage that God gave Adam two commands in these verses. He told him to rule over creation and to subdue creation. The phrase rule over in the Hebrew means to have dominion or to subjugate. The idea was that Adam was to have headship over the earth and the animals and the sea. And then the word subdue essentially says the same thing, but it says it with even more force. Essentially, what God was communicating here was that Adam was to have, Adam ultimately was to have responsibility over the earth. He was to have charge over the earth. Now, in just a few weeks, one of our central conversations, we're going to talk about God's responsibility given to man to work. To go out and work in creation. That's part of God's design. But again, we're not going to talk about the tasks of dominion. Today, we need to understand the truth of dominion. That God has given us dominion over the earth. And so again, let me answer those questions very briefly. First, where do we see God giving man dominion over the earth in Scripture? The idea of man having dominion over the earth could not be seen more clearly than it is here in Genesis 1 and 2. Now, we need to understand... That our dominion does not mean that we as humanity, that we own the earth. But rather that humanity has been entrusted with the responsibility of the earth, but it still remains God's. Psalms 24 verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and all it contains. However, what we need to know about the purpose for God giving dominion over the earth was ultimately to make God's creation flourish and do what God intended it to do, which was ultimately to bless man... And to glorify himself. So this is what you what is dominion? This is one thing you need to understand. What is dominion? Dominion is to rule over. But according to Scripture, rule over means that our responsibility was to make the earth flourish. Look at Genesis two, verses four and five. It says, This is the count of the heavens and the earth. They were created in the day the Lord God made earth and heaven. Now, no shrub of the field was yet in the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprouted. For the Lord God had not sent rain upon the earth, and, this is important, there was no man to cultivate the ground. God said that he had created it all, but it had not flourished yet. It had not sprouted yet, one, because God had not sent rain on it. But secondly, because there was no man there yet to cultivate it. This text reminds us that when God created the earth, He did it in such a way that it would only reach its fullest potential when man cultivated it. Creation was made by by God for man to rule over, and the end result would be that creation would serve and bless the man and that God would be glorified. We need to let our children know today that our dominion over the earth was never intended to make God's creation worse but better. Now, this is important, by the way. It's a good principle that from the very beginning, the first place we ever see in Scripture where God gave somebody rule or dominion over something else, responsibility over something else, is it was, never, it was not self-serving, but it was a relationship that was satisfying to the man, and it was also flourishing to the earth. This is, by the way, a side note today. This is really important for parents over your children. Husbands over your wives, employers over employees, any responsibility that God has given you, it is always intended to make others flourish and be joyful and life giving to you. If your rule and responsibility over other people always just brings death and destruction, then you're not ruling in the way that God would call you to. That's a good side note to know. But again, the idea is where do we see it in Scripture? The Scripture has called man to make the earth flourish. Second question. Where do we see this? Happening in the earth. Where do we see man having dominion over the earth in such a way that it causes the earth to flourish? Now again, our sinful nature, we've messed this up a lot of times, but it doesn't mean that we can't still see that it was inside of God's design. Let me give you a couple of examples. First, in animals. We see that when man has put his hand to creation as far as animals are concerned, that we have the capacity to really cause them to flourish in incredible ways. Now, again, our sinful nature, we've messed this up a lot. There's a reason why we go to KFC today for lunch. Nobody's eating a fried dodo sandwich because there's no more of them around. We messed it up on that one, okay? We're going to have to answer, hey God, that was us, all right? I'm sure it was awesome. We missed that one. But for the most part today, we can see when we bring the earth into subjection that we do it well, uh, Again, we have more food today. We're available to raise up more animals, to feed more people, which ultimately speaks to our dominion over the, the vegetation of the earth than ever in the history of the world. We can feed more people. We can ultimately raise up more cattle. We can raise up more chickens. And I'm talking about like Arnold Schwarzenegger chickens. Now, we, we may have to answer to God on that one too, by the way, because you know these chickens are like 17 pounds and got biceps, you know, may not be natural. Okay, but... Again, you can see we cause them to flourish. Let me give you another example of that. Even when we've messed it up, we have the ability to fix it. Uh, Alligators in the 1960s, the American alligator in the 1960s, was considered endangered on the verge of extinction. We put our hands to it. We started trying to fix it. And today, now, they are so prolific that just the state of Florida alone gives away thousands of alligator tags a year for people to hunt. Now, again, if you hunt alligators, you're probably a little weird. But you can do it, you know. It shows that we have blessed. Another, another example of the way our dominion over the earth has caused the earth to flourish is the example in the atom. The smallest part of creation, the smallest element that we can see in creation is the atom. And we have the ability now to take that atom and to create, to to withdraw the energy from that atom in such a way that we can now provide life-giving electricity to millions of people that brings heat and electricity and so many other things to people to bless people through the smallest element in creation. Now again, we've messed that up too. We made bombs out of it, okay, and that's weird. But again, in the areas where you don't see the sinful nature come into play, you see a blessing come to play in that where man has been given dominion over the earth, you can see places where we've caused it to flourish and we caused it our dominion to be a blessing. Third question, as we prepare to close. Why is it important to teach our children that God gave man dominion over the earth? Brother Ron, would you make your way? Let me give you a couple reasons why we need to let our children know that God gave us dominion over the earth. First, our children need to know that our dominion over the earth To show them the priority of humanity over creation. Again, church family, this is an important conversation to have. Our children need to know that they matter more than creation. Again, it doesn't mean that we wrongly steward creation. It doesn't mean that we don't care about things. But ultimately it means that people matter most. Let me give you an example of that. I I don't necessarily think it's wrong if you want to give money to the ASPCA. You know, that commercial comes on, Sarah McLaughlin singing in the background, you know, in the arms of... It. You got that dog that's shivering and in the snow. Hey, if you want to do that, that's fine. But I will say something to you here today. If you worry, worry more about them than you do children who don't have something to eat, then something's wrong. We've got it backwards. Humanity matters more than creation. But also, our children need to know that God has given us dominion over creation Because they need to know that we have responsibility over creation. We still have a responsibility to steward this earth. And can I say this is a a gospel opportunity that I think with people in segments of our culture today that are very often, they're not very gospel-centered people, is in the green movement, is that this is a great opportunity for Christians to step into this realm. Because they, they step into this realm for the purpose of saving nature. And we have a divine responsibility to step in, to responsibly... Deal with creation. Now again, we do it from a different aspect. We do it from an aspect of again, people matter first over creation. But again, you have an opportunity to step into these realms to point people to the God of creation. There's gospel opportunities here in these moments. Now church family, as I was preparing to close, as we talk about today, God, God's image, God creating us in His image, and God giving us dominion over the earth, these are, response, God, these are conversations we need to have. I was praying, Lord, how do you want me to end this this morning? And I was reminded again of a one-year Bible reading this past week. Just this last week, if you've been reading through the one-year Bible. And Again, if you haven't, man, I encourage you to do that. We've got them for sale out here. If you can't afford one, we'll give one to you. Start with today's date. Don't start back at January and just start reading. If you've, if you've fallen off the wagon, by the way, start back. Just start with today's date. But this past week was the cross. And as I was reading the crucifixion of Jesus, it was kind of washing over me, and it was a holy, somber moment. I had kids running around. It was Friday. Fridays are my off day, and kids are running around acting like maniacs. And so I was like, hey, i got I to get away. And I walked out on the front porch, and I just started going through that story again. started going through Jesus' arrest. started going through them mocking Him. I started going through them scourging Jesus. Him carrying the cross to the moment of crucifixion. To the six hours that He was on the cross. To the moment where He bore the sin of the world when He cried out and said, Eli, Eli, my my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? To that moment where He died. The Bible says that He breathed His last. And in that moment, I was thanking Jesus for every aspect of that. Because that's what He did for me. And I sat on my front porch and I raised my hands to Jesus. And I was just thanking Him for why He did that. And again, church family, why did He do that today? He didn't do that for creation. He didn't do that for the mountains and the hills. He didn't do that for anybody else. He did that for every one of us here today. Because we bear the image of God. And if you don't hear anything else I say this morning, hear this today. You matter to God. You matter today. And you matter enough because God put his design on you. He's got his fingerprints on your heart and life. You are valuable and he proved it. Not just in creation, he proved it at the cross. And this morning, some of you may be here today and you know that you don't know him. You know about him? but you don't really know Jesus, I want you to know today that you can receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior this morning and He can change your life forever. The Bible says, As many as received Him are those He gave the right to become children of God to those who believe upon His name. So I'm going to invite you to do that this morning. Right there you are with every head bowed, every eye closed for a moment just as a moment of reverence. If you're here this morning, you say, Pastor Zach, man, I, I believe I believe that God created me in His image. I, I, I think about sin and worshiping God. I think about these things. It's in my design, but I don't know Him. Brother Zach, this morning I'm bearing the weight of my own sin, and I need to be forgiven. He can save you right there where you are. Call out to him. Pray something like this to the Lord Jesus right there where you are. Say, dear Jesus, I don't know you, but I want to know you. I believe you died on the cross for my sin. I believe you love me, even though I don't deserve it. And Jesus, I ask you, will you save me? Will you save me, Jesus? Come into my heart and life and be my Lord. With every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around. This is between you and I. We're not going to embarrass you. But I'm just going to ask you one thing. If you asked Jesus to save you this morning, nobody's looking around. Would you just glance up at me? Right now, would you just make eye contact with me? Amen. Anybody else in the room, you say, Pastor Zach, that's me. I'm looking around. Just make eye contact with me right there where you are. You say, Pastor Zach, that's me again. Just look your eyes up here just for a moment. Is that you? If I don't see you in the room here today, God sees you. He's right there where you are. And as we sing this song of invitation, this is what I'm going to encourage you to do. If you ask Jesus to save you this morning, you need to let somebody know that. Or maybe you've asked Him to save you in recent weeks. You got to see baptism this morning and you need to make that public you need to tell somebody that you gave your life to Jesus there's a few ways that you can do that as we sing you can put that on write that on that little blue connect card and turn that in as you leave and one of our pastors will get in touch with you as a place where you can mark I gave my life to Jesus if you need to follow through in baptism you can mark that on that card if you say I need to make my faith in Christ public it's our first command after coming to know Jesus is to make it public if you need to join this church You feel free to come down and take one of our pastors by the hand. And we'd love to celebrate that with you this morning. And then mamas and daddies and grandparents, maybe those who feel low in heart this morning, maybe you just need to worship the Lord today and say, Jesus, thank you that I'm special to you. That I'm created in your image. Father, we love you this morning. I pray, God, that as we worship here in closing today, that this truth would wash over us, God, is that we matter to you. We matter enough for the life of your own son. We pray it in Jesus' name.